Hey guys, this is the C3 Church Malmo podcast. I am believing God will speak to you today and that a greater level of faith will be unlocked in your life. For more information about C3 Church, go to c3malmo.se. God bless. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, that's right. Oh, no, it's good. It's good. It's always good to be in church where when you say good morning to people, they say good morning back. It's, it's like a universal language, you realize. Um, uh, and when people don't say that, it's just rude. Don't do it. Um, so, fantastic. I'm just really excited um, about bringing um, the Word of God um, to you this morning. I want to begin by sort of saying this. Um, it's just so great to be with you this morning. Um, and myself um, and Kat and Ezra, like, we count it such a privilege to be able to bring the Word of God this morning, to be able to um, actually, like, share time with church family. Um, and just coming here, um, it makes me really realize the beauty of the body of Christ, the way in which all over the globe there are people who meet um, under, you know, like in halls exactly like this one, all across the globe, and they are meeting right now, you know, all across Europe, and they gather together, not based on nationality, not based um, on our cultural identity. We gather under one name. We gather under the name of Jesus. And so, um, you know, I also want to say to you as well that we bring greetings from C3 Sunderland and from our church family to your church family. You know, it's just so wonderful to be able to gather with you. Um, you know, getting to know your pastors a little bit better over the past couple of days. Um, you know, we, we can wholeheartedly say, you know, like we love you. We love hearing about what God is up to in this place. Um, and, you know, I suppose like they used to do in the early church, you know, like grace and peace to all of you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. You know, from our church family to your church family, we are one family all over the globe who gather under the name of Jesus. So um, today, as uh, Pastor Matthew has said, um, I'm wrapping up this series called Heroes of the Faith, which is something I know you guys have been studying. And yes, um, I must confess, um, I have basically been stalking you um, in terms of your sermon podcasts and just like listening to each one of those messages, getting a sense of like some of the voices um, from uh, your church, some of the wonderful people, and some of the things that God is up to um, in this church. And so today, what I want to do is, is I want to take um, this particular series, and, and I know that a number of you, you were sharing about like heroes of the faith from the Bible. You were talking about like, this is my hero of the faith. Or um, I think one of you very kindly um, talked about the fact that your wife is basically the hero of, your, of, of the faith for you um, because uh, she reminds you, um, what, you know, like how to grow as a Christian and, and keeps you um, reminded of like, no, that's probably not a good idea. So like, um, you know, hats off, to, hats off to those of us who are married who, who basically God has given us a life partner whose, whose chief goal seems to be to sharpen us and to make us more like Jesus, <laughs> you know. Like, it's a, great, it's a great thing, and we, we accept it with grace, and we accept it with joy. Awesome. Fantastic. Um, well, before I go any further, um, uh, as, as I was kind of like um, going around um, uh, the church just earlier as we were setting up, um, I just sensed um, uh, like God speaking to me and having a word specifically for Matthew and Christelle. So I just kind of want to share that right now. And so um, Matthew and Christelle, um, 
um, as we were kind of like praying earlier, like God just um, spoke to me and he said, um, he gave me the word translators. So I want to say to you, like, um, I see you as translators. Like, obviously, um, you are not you are not people who were born in Sweden, so you have, as it were, had to translate from one culture to another culture. And in exactly the same way that a translator acts as, acts as like a middle, a mediator between two different parties who don't speak the same language, I believe that God has given you the supernatural gifting that you are mediators between cultures, that you are a couple who you have an anointing within you that you help translate Jesus for other people. So you have a way of connecting. And just to kind of prove that, I'm just going to do something really simple right now. I want, to put, I want you to put your hands up in the room. Put your hands up if you're Swedish. Okay. okay. I want you to look around the room. Born in Sweden. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Right. Put your hands up um, if you're born in another Scandinavian country. Okay. Got, got, got a couple. Okay. Put up your hands if you're from the greater European content, uh, continent. Yeah, okay, okay. Got, got a couple, couple of people. The great European continent. That's us, guys. That's, a, that's Britain. That's UK. Well done. Represent. Um, put up your hands um, if you are from Africa. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Put up your hands if you're from Asia. Okay. I want you... I did that exercise because I want to show you something. Uh, yeah, okay. No, shh. Yeah, put your hands up if you're from America. Yeah, 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 it's, it's okay, yeah, yeah. I knew, I knew there would be some American in the house, like. Oh, yeah, the American arrived. <laughs> Everyone, yeah. No, uh, by the way, that is a great thing. That is anointing from the Lord, the confidence that American has, uh, Americans have. It's, 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 it's a godly anointing. South America? Okay, oh, oh, oh amazing, amazing. Okay. Um, um, Antarctica, anyone? No, no, no one. Okay, right. Australia or Australasia? No. Oh, guys, that's a target. Um, so I, I make that point just to share something really simple with you. Like in the same way that your pastors have an anointing to translate Jesus for other people, I believe that here in the church, the reason you have the church that you have from so many different nationalities, so many different places, is I want to empower your church. I want to remind you, you have an anointing to translate Jesus for every single person in this city and beyond. It is something that God has placed upon this church because it placed it on its leaders first. It's something they carry and it runs in you too. So I want you to recognize that you are somebody who you are called to translate who Jesus is for ordinary, everyday people in your workplace, in your university, in your school, whatever it is, you carry this ability to be able to translate who Jesus is and why he matters in people's lives, and it's on you. And because it's on you, I want you to go with confidence into wherever God has called you, knowing I am here for purpose, I am here for a reason, and I am here to translate who Jesus is. I am probably the only picture that many people will see of who Jesus is. I'm it. So today, um, I want to bring this series to a close. 
And as I know you've been talking about heroes of the faith, I want to turn it slightly on its head. You've been looking at heroes in the faith in the Bible. But I want to make this statement. And if you're taking notes, I don't know if that's kind of like a thing. I, I love note taking because I, I, I forget things. So when I take notes, it means I remember. Um, so I want to encourage you to take notes. Um, you are a hero of the faith in the making. I think so often we are inspired by the stories of heroes of the faith from the Bible that we forget that the same spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead is on us, it is in us, and therefore actually we have the capacity to be the hero in the faith too. We are called in this time, in this season, in this moment, as the church of Jesus Christ to actually minister Christ to people, and therefore, when Jesus looks at us, he says, you are a hero of the faith in the making. And we see this. We see this um, in Hebrews 12. Hebrews 11 is, is a passage. I don't know if you've ever seen this connection. Hebrews 11 is a passage that basically talks all about the past heroes of the faith from Scripture. But then when we get to Hebrews 12, we suddenly see this pivot. And look at what it says. The writer of Hebrews then suddenly says, now talking about the present day, he then says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, in other words, we're surrounded by people who have witnessed to us in the past and who've reminded us, this is what Jesus can do. Jesus can do this. Jesus can do this. Remember all the stories of the faith. This is what God has done in the past. But it's not just something for the past. It's something for the present. And he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a kind of witnesses, what should we do? Let us, that's me, you, everyone, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us, in other words, you, me, right now, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. I don't know if you've realized this, you are already marked out. You have been marked out for Jesus. You have been marked out for a race. You are already in it, even if you didn't realize it. This morning, I believe that what Jesus wants to do is Jesus wants to stir something on the inside of each and every one of us. And for some of you this morning, I feel like it's going to feel a little bit like waking up after a kind of a season of inactivity where you haven't been taking steps forward in your faith, where what's going to happen is Jesus is waking you up and saying, no, your horizon is much bigger than you think it is. What you are capable of, what God wants to do through you is so much more significant than you realize. And, it, and it's time for you to wake up and to say, I'm going to run this race. There's a race marked out for me. Jesus has marked me with the He's the presence of the Holy Spirit, and therefore I want to go forward, and I want to take ground for Jesus. I want to be a person who carries this kind of conviction of your kingdom come, your will be done through my life, through my day-to-day -day ordinary life, here, today, as it is in heaven, here, right now. And it says, let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Similarly, in Acts 4.13, the early apostles 
um, have been called up in front of the Sanhedrin to give account for their actions. And this is what we read. Listen to this. Really, really interesting. When they, that's these Jewish experts, um, uh, saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. You see, the point that both of these passages are demonstrating, and what I really want to underline for us this morning, is something really simple. We are not simply called to be inspired by past heroes of the faith. We are called to recognize that that mantle is on us. We are called to live our lives in such a way where we say, we can be heroes too. So for me, for you, we are called to be a hero in the faith. Church, I I don't want us to be unclear about this. The mandate of Jesus is clear. We are called to be a people who partner with where the Holy Spirit is currently working. And we are called to become like Jesus, and we are called to do what Jesus did. That's what it means to be a hero of the faith. That's what we see in Acts 4.13. It says, notice what they noted. They noted three things. Number one, they had no education. They were unschooled. Number two, there was nothing extraordinary about them in the natural. When you looked at these men, you're like, fisherman, tax collector, zealot. You know, like, they would have looked at these people, and they would have seen banker, construction worker, architect, university student, project manager. That's the kind of thing that we're talking about. You know, school teacher, mother, father, brother, all of these ordinary everyday roles that we occupy. What What they then go on to say is that they noted that they were people who had been with Jesus. Why is this important? Why does it matter? It matters because in our culture, so often we think about what it means to become like Christ. We think what success looks like is to do with the position or the education that we have. And I'm not saying those things aren't important. But what I'm saying is the defining factor, the thing that actually allows the kingdom of God to grow, the kingdom of God to develop, it is people who know how to be with Jesus. When you are a person who knows how to be with Jesus, the fact that you may be ordinary, the fact that your work may feel ordinary, the fact that you may feel, I'm not massively educated, or alternatively, I'm hugely educated, because that's true as well, because sometimes I think when we're, when we're hugely educated, we can think that it's our education that is going to allow the kingdom of God to actually advance. Our education might give us strategy. God might use it, but ultimately, the defining factor isn't that. Scripture makes it really clear. The defining factor is that we are people who know how to be with Jesus. We are people who cultivate a lifestyle where we regularly are in the presence of God, hearing the Word of God hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit to a point whereby we know what the voice of the Holy Spirit sounds like. And I love that. 
I don't know about you, but that should be great news for every single person in this room. Why is it great news? It's great news because suddenly your ordinary everyday job becomes a supernatural opportunity for God to turn up and to move. Peter and John were on the way to the temple to pray, to do something ordinary every day for Jewish men of their type. What happens? They meet a man who needs healing. He says, can I have some money, please? They're like, I don't have any money. But here's what I do have. And notice this once again. Peter and John said, here's what I do have. I have Jesus. And I know what it is to be with him, and I know how to minister him. Which leads us to an obvious question. I am assuming that every single person in this room, you want to be that kind of person. You want to be a person who it doesn't matter what it is you're doing during the week, your ordinary everyday life, your ordinary everyday um, life can be characterized by moments where the Holy Spirit and the presence of God breaks into your life, into your world in supernatural ways, and you see people's lives transformed. I believe that in the Western church, we have become far too com- far too comfortable with just expecting Jesus to do little things, expecting Jesus to turn up just a little bit. We've become far too comfortable with a a sense of the Holy Spirit where all we're looking for is just a little bit of a nice tickly feeling on a Sunday once a week where we have a sense and we're like, oh yeah, I felt the presence of God. That's awesome. That's enough for me. I might have a couple of, I might have a couple of quick snacks, you know, during the week, but that is enough of the presence of God for me. What I am talking about here is, is I'm talking about a place whereby we live in the river of the Holy Spirit so much that it cannot but help but overflow into our ordinary everyday lives and whereby we are so in tune with the voice of the Holy Spirit and we are so postured towards being obedient to what God is saying that we will step out in faith, we will step out in boldness, we will step out in courage and it is because of that that we will then begin to partner with the Holy Spirit bringing life into areas of death in our society. We are called to be the church of Jesus Christ. We are not called necessarily just to partner with our councils, with our city planners and all the rest of this kind of stuff. We are called to be people who bring the real life of Jesus Christ into our cities because they are spiritually dead. We are facing a generation of people who are lost and alone and who are isolated and who struggle with addictions and who struggle with fear and who live in a culture and a soup of anxiety. And we have the answer. We have the one whose spirit is greater than that. And sometimes I feel like we have decided to keep it to ourselves. And I'm not saying that to accuse anyone in here. I'm saying we are all equally guilty. But what I feel this story shows us is that there is a way to live our life that is different. Where we are inhabited by the presence of Christ every single day. And that the fruit of our lives is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control. These are the things that flow out of us. And that is is attractive to a world that is directionless, to a world that is broken, to a world that is hurting. Make no mistake, the addictions towards social media, the addictions towards entertainment, 
and to um, other pursuits, often, not often, they are a way of dulling the soul's cry for Jesus. They are a way of putting a placebo over or a plaster over a great hole where we are broken and we need Jesus. And I just want to share just in the next 10 minutes, I've just got a couple of points that I want to sort of say, well, how do we become those kinds of people? What does it look like to be those kinds of people? Interestingly enough, the Bible already has a word for this. It's called disciple. When the Bible uses the word disciple, a disciple means somebody who is apprenticing under another person. As Jesus' followers, we are called to build a life where we are apprenticing under Jesus and where we are being formed by Jesus. And the only way that you get formed by Jesus, guess what, is if you spend time with Jesus. Can you imagine? I just want to use an image here which might really help. Can you imagine meeting your spouse at the aisle, going through the civil ceremony of getting married because you love each other and you want to build a life together and then going, oh, it's so beautiful. Oh, babe, I literally cannot wait to spend my whole life with you. And then the service closes. The preacher says, you know, you know, you may now kiss the bride. They kiss each other and then they go off to separate homes to live completely separate lives. Again, go, awesome, we got married. I'll go to my home. You go to your home. And yet I bring that picture to you because I think sometimes that's how we approach Jesus. We did come to the altar. We did surrender. We did say, I'm saying yes to Jesus. But we left Jesus at the altar. And then we went home to our own world, our own life, our own problems, our own issues. And sometimes what we do is, in the busyness and the frustrations of just like life, we forget that Jesus actually is still waiting for us, and he's still there saying, hey, look, uh, you, you remember when you said yes to me? I, I've got some answers about that issue. I've got some words for you about that. I've got my comforting presence for you. I have the one who is... I am the one who has gone through all brokenness, all grief, all loss. And I am here for you. And I want to be with you. But you want to keep me at the door. If we are going to be a people who are fundamentally formed and transformed by the presence of God, we need to stop leaving Jesus at the door. We need to bring Jesus into the home. And we need to build a life whereby Jesus is not just part of our life. Jesus is our life. How do we do that? Number one, we choose community over individuality. We see this in Matthew 4, verses 18 to 20. It says this. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. 
Come and follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Now, this might seem like a really super obvious thing to say. Like, guys, you know, sometimes I know people are looking for like a, a real kind of like, ooh, I've never thought of that kind of word. But this is something super obvious. When Jesus goes to call the disciples, I want you to notice something really simple. He calls disciples, plural, not disciple, singular. Now, what this reveals um, that I think we need to understand better as followers of Jesus, as disciples ourselves, is that we need to be in community. The growth in this thing. The Bible does not understand those people who say something along the lines of, yeah, me and Jesus, we're all good. We have wonderful times together. Like, let me help you. Or like I watch sermons online and I just stay at home. Like, let me help you. You are getting content. You are not benefiting from community. You may get revelation but you will still never really be fully formed. You will remain immature in your faith because actually one of the ways in which Jesus grows you as a disciple is he brings you into conflict with people who are nothing like you. And the reason that this church is so beautiful with all these different nationalities represented is because there is a spirit of unity in this church where you have all recognized and realized that my national identity is a part of who I am, but my core identity is who I am in Christ. And so if we are going to grow, you know, we need to be a people who commit to the community. And I know that in our day and age, it is so tempting, and we are, we are lured away by so many other distractions that basically, on all of those distractions, their aim is one thing. They want to disconnect you from community, or they want to say to you, no, this is a replacement for community. When Facebook first came out, it was like, builds this idea of like making connections with friends. Be like, no, it doesn't make connections with friends. It just allows you to scroll and to kind of voyeuristically sort of like watch someone else's life from the comfort of your own couch. You know, whilst you look at the lives of people that you have no personal or emotional investment in, so you can just say, awesome, so great you had a great day at the beach, you know, like you haven't spoken to them since school, but you, you know, you literally religiously like, like every single one of their posts. And you're like, what am I doing? I am spending all of my effort and all of my resource and time investing into relationships with people who I will never actually see again, who I don't live with, and who are not part of my community that I actually belong to. Disciples, however, understand that Jesus doesn't just call me to himself. Jesus calls me to belong to a body of Christ as well. And it's in that body of Christ that I learn how to love more completely. I learn to confront my dysfunction. I'm going to put my hand up here. I confidently can tell you I have dysfunction. Um, speak to my wife if you, don't, if you don't believe me. Like, if you are married here, if you are in a family here, if you don't think you have dysfunction, speak to someone else who knows you really well. Let me help you. You do have dysfunction. You know, you have been formed in ways before you met Jesus. And some of those ways do not line up with the heavenly vision of who you are. Who you are. Jesus knows who you are. 
He wants to show you who you are, and he wants you to walk you into it. But what Jesus invites us into to help that is he says, come and be found in community. These people are going to drive you mad. Sometimes you're going to have very unbiblical thoughts about these people. But as you do that, you learn to love. It makes me realize as well, like, if Jesus is all-powerful, all-wonderful, all-amazing, I'm like, Jesus, you could have done, like, the whole cross thing. Like, he could have lived a hermit lifestyle, like being some kind of, like, shaman, you know, like, in a cave, and people came and got from the wisdom of this kind of, you know, like, speaker. But he's like, he chooses 12 dysfunctional people to share his entire life with for three years. It's a model for us, church. This is what we're supposed to do. Stop looking for perfect people. Stop joining the community that you feel God has called you to, where you hear the word of God, where you come alive and commit to the process of actually being transformed. And the wonderful thing about this, and I really felt as I was preparing this message, there are some people in here and you struggle. You struggle for whatever reason with belonging to community. Maybe it's because you've only ever seen it done badly. Maybe it's because you've been hurt by communities in the past. There are some people in here, I know, like, no one else would know it, but you really, you really struggle, like, just kind of like with negative, anxious, worrying thoughts. And I'm not talking about like ordinary worry, like that we all have. I mean, like, this is really kind of like powerful. And I feel like what God is saying to you is he's saying, I want you to take a step of faith. And your step of faith is find yourself in community. Step into community. There are people here who you are lonely. And you feel like people in church don't really see the real you. The antidote for that is simple. It's community. Commit to a connect group. Decide that you are going to trust people with your inner life what you really think, what you really feel, what you really struggle with. Because I want to encourage you. I've been in church a long time. As Matthew said, kindly, I am coming up towards 50. At this point, you can all go, no! Obviously, not prompted at all. If we just edit that out of the podcast later. Um, You know, like, I have been in church since I was 10. And I have seen some pretty tragic things. But one thing I have learned is that when life and the tragedies of life hit, the people who grow, who mature, who make it through with joy, not in the moment, but eventually, they are people who are rooted in community. They are people who are rooted in a community where when they could not stand, on their own, because they were so broken. There were people who put their arms around them and said, the love of Jesus is real. 
let me be the love of Jesus to you right now. Do not wallow in your shame. Do not wallow in your fear. Do not worry. Do not wallow in your anxiety and your worry. I have come that they may have life and have life to the full. And that God places those people in the community of faith so that their faith may be restored, so that they may be rebuilt, so that they may actually begin to believe that God has a plan and a destiny and a desire for them, that God sees in them. You are not just called to read about heroes of the faith. You are a hero of the faith in the making. And in the process of the making, God is making something specific and individual in your gifting, in your personality mix, in the way that you are, that is a blessing to every single person around you. That when you go into your ordinary everyday life, you bring the salt, you bring the oil, you bring the water of the presence of Jesus Christ into the people in which you work. And it is the most compelling, it's the most compelling way of convincing people that Jesus is real. You can argue with an academic for days and they will not be convinced. You put someone in the room where the presence of God is there and the presence of God is real and they see someone get up and walk who could not walk. They see someone who has been emotionally broken and hurt and, um, you know, formed by addiction, break that addiction and come through that addiction. They suddenly get a different story. They get a different narrative. and they Maybe this Jesus thing is real because I know. I know that guy. I know Adam. Adam was an awful human being. But somehow, somehow it is. He started going to this church community. He started saying yes to Jesus. And this Jesus thing, do you know what? It has transformed him. He's like a different person. And you're like, yeah, that's the whole point. Like, stop being so committed to version 1.0 of you. I want to break this to you as kindly as I can. Version 1.0 of you is not that good. Like, I know it was awesome when you were a teenager and you had zero responsibilities and you just got to play and just go and do whatever, but you're an adult now. You have responsibilities. <laughs> you know, but those responsibilities are a joy and a gift. They are a joy and a gift because they are alloyed with the presence of God and the Holy Spirit and therefore... Awesome. You're off. So, like I say to you, we're going to, um, I'd like to open up the altar in just a few minutes. And I do, I do want to encourage some people. If you don't do this regularly, I think sometimes it's a really important moment. And it's not that there's anything kind of, it's not necessarily that this, this carpet represents some kind of anointed surface. It doesn't. It's a carpet. Um, but the presence of Jesus, it represents a moment where you're saying, Jesus, I'm stepping forward in faith and saying, Jesus, your way. Come, Holy Spirit. The most often prayed prayer of the early church is come, Holy Spirit. Because what they understood was that sometimes there are things that it's, just can't be fixed by human means. But there are things that can be fixed by the presence of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And they are available to you and to me. I'm going to finish on this point. Hmm? Can do. Yeah, if the band wants to join, that'd be awesome. 
So back home, it's a really simple setup. So like sometimes the band can come, sometimes they can't come. So it's like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Absolutely fine. So the second thing I want to share with you today is that one of the things that defines us as disciples is that we choose to allow Jesus to redeem our mistakes. Now, we live in a culture, I don't know if you're aware of this, that is driven by performance and perfection. The, ho- the unholy two Ps, um, you know, in the pod. Um, and as a result right now, I think that we are being heavily and unhealthily um, formed by this desire to be perfect. So, and, and, I, and I find that particularly with sometimes us as disciples, the way this works out is that although we accepted Jesus um, completely, you know, grace, you know, full of grace, grace-free, we then begin to try and kind of like perform our way into kind of like Jesus' presence again. It's like, oh, if I can just do this, if I can just do this, then, then I can be in the presence of God. And we forget that the presence of God is, is actually accessible because we have said yes to Christ. It's not about our performance. It's not about how well we're doing or any of those kinds of things. And we see that really clearly in the Apostle Peter. You see, out of all of the apostles, and I love the Apostle Peter, I love the Apostle Peter, and I love the Gospels, because the Gospels, you've got to know the Gospels are true. Because if I was Peter, and I was trying to get a movement off the ground, I would not have written the Gospels. Like the amount of times that guy comes off as an idiot um, is a lot. So he is quite foolish. Um, he's very outspoken, but he also has moments. He's the only one. He's the first one amongst the disciples to realize who Jesus really is. Admittedly, he then throws a praise party for himself once he realizes this. He's like, yeah, I got it, guys. He's the Messiah. I got there first. And then, of course, he gets involved in another debate later on when he's like, who's the greatest? And you can just know that Peter's like, going, look, guys, I, I, I mean, like, I don't think there's any debate, is there? Like, like it's me. Like, I was one of the first ones chosen. Do you remember? Do you remember, like, on the, on the beach that day? It says it in Scripture. I mean, they wouldn't have had Scripture, but you know what I mean. Because um, it was like, who was it first? Who, what's the order? That's right. It was, you know, Simon, later called Peter, um, and then his brother Andrew. So I was, I was seen first. Jesus saw me. He saw there was something in me. So I was chosen first. I'm clear, you know, like, I recognize that Jesus was the Messiah first. I'm the only guy who got out of the boat, guys. Like, I don't know about the rest of you. You guys might have laughed. I might have sunk, but I got out of the boat, so... One over on you there. Who's the greatest? It's clearly me. Um, so you realize that this is the kind of, this is the disciple of Jesus. But here's the thing. He's also the disciple who says, Jesus, I don't know about the rest of these guys. Like, I know what you mean, Jesus. Like, these guys, they're not a lot, are they? But me, do you know what? I am never going to desert you. I'll never betray you. Like, if everyone else does, and to be honest with you, I'm a bit unsure about Judas. He seems to be having some issues. Um, but Peter, I'm Peter. I'm never leaving. You know, you even called me Peter. I'm the rock. I am the rock. I'm going to stay. And then, of course, like just like barely hours later, <laughs> he, betrays, he betrays Jesus. Um, and then, you know, he realizes what he's done. But I want to take us to this moment where this is actually before Jesus, before Peter betrays Jesus. Listen to what Jesus says to him. He says this. This is from Luke 22, verses 31 to 32. It says this, Simon, Simon. I always like to wonder, like, how Jesus says things. Like, was it like, Simon, Simon? Or was it like, because, like, Simon's interrupting again. 
at another meal, trying to kind of like promote himself. He's like, Simon, Simon. Or is it more like loving, like Simon, Simon, you know, the one who I love, the rock. Yeah, I love you. Um, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, I love this. This is before he actually does the wrong thing. Jesus says, and when you've turned back, in other words, he's saying, I want to speak this into you. You are going to make mistakes, Peter, but I want you to always know there's a way back. There's a way back. And he says, strengthen your brothers. And I think what this reveals is this, that our capacity to be hearers of the faith is more based on Jesus' faithfulness and his prayers than ours. I love that he says, Simon, 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 I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you. You're not going. You're not going to fail. And it makes me realize that I think the only time we ever really fail as disciples is when we fail to come back. There is no mistake, no poor decision, no aspect of our life before Christ that cannot be redeemed by Christ. The only thing he says is, what he invites us to as mature disciples of Christ is he says, look, you're going to make mistakes along that journey. Will you have a posture where you say, I messed up. I got it wrong. I'm really sorry. And often the way this works out is it works out, and this ties to my first point, in community. Will we be a people who have the humility to go out to another brother or sister in Christ and say, hey, look, I'm really sorry. I was out of order. I was arrogant. I was rude. I thought I was in the right in that moment. And that's why I came back so hard. But actually, I've since realized I was in the wrong. I got this wrong. Will you forgive me? Can we learn to build our friendship again? Can we learn to trust again? You know, these are the hallmarks of disciples. Disciples choose community over individuality. And disciples recognize that perfection is not the goal of our faith. Jesus is. Knowing Jesus. Becoming like Jesus. And doing the things that Jesus did. Those are the distinctives that we're called to be as disciples. And as we come, as we kind of like finish up right now, I take a short time and I want to just like encourage you. Now, we can, all, we can open up the altar. You can do it in your chair. The Holy Spirit doesn't actually mind. He's not bothered. But I think if there is something maybe you want someone specifically to pray for, it might be good for you to come to the front or come to the side and say, hey, look, I'd like someone to pray with me at the end of this because I feel that God's speaking to me. And right now, I feel like the Holy Spirit is, so I just want to encourage us maybe to like close our eyes, just give people privacy in this room. Holy Spirit, right now, I, I know that there's a number of different issues in this room. There's a number of different things that we're struggling with. And God, there's 
There's things that people know about, and there's also things that people don't know about. But right now, God, we, we, we respond to your word. And in this moment, we're saying, God, we recognize that we want to be more like you. And that the pathway of that is discipleship. The pathway of that is, is actually learning how to put into practice what it means to follow you. And in this moment, God, we're saying, God, there's areas in my life where I, I've perhaps I've followed other things more than you. It's not that I haven't been following you. It's that I've been following other things more than you. And in this moment, I, I recognize that, that there are things that have been keeping me in bondage that have been preventing me from fully following you because my anxiety keeps me from following you. Fear keeps me from following you. Um, that loneliness keeps me from following you. And I feel trapped in those things and I feel like there's no way out. In this moment, Holy Spirit, we recognize, I want to prophesy over every single person that the bondage of those lies, the bondage of those thoughts, Lord God, is broken in this moment. And the Holy Spirit that you break through, you break through in freedom because God, where you bring truth, you also bring freedom. And right now, I believe that there is freedom for people, freedom to be able to recognize that, well, Lord God, that where they've got things wrong in the past, where they've made mistakes, or whether there are things in their past that they are ashamed of and that they wouldn't want anyone to know, that the power of that shame is broken by the blood of Jesus Christ in this place. That the spirit of freedom, a spirit of joy would break out. The Holy Spirit, that you would remind people that they are sons and daughters of the living God. That their identity is found and formed in you and cannot be stolen, cannot be taken away. But in this moment, Jesus, we're saying, Jesus, we want to be formed by your voice. We want the story that you speak over our lives to be the story we are living out of. Because here's the truth, church. The story you are telling yourself right now about who you are is the story you will live out in your day-to-day. And for every single one of us, it's not completely in line with who Jesus says we are. So right now, with every eye closed in this place, if you're saying, yes, Jesus, I want you to minister to me in the issue and the area in my heart, I want you to raise your hand in this moment. If you know there's something that is misformed or deformed or malformed in your spirit, and you're saying, Jesus, I want to invite the Holy Spirit to transform, to reform me, I want you to put your hands up. Because here's what we're saying. When we're saying that, we're saying, Jesus, I want your voice, your voice to be the loudest voice in my world. There's people all over the place responding. Holy Spirit, right now, come as only you can. Lord God, with that gentleness of spirit, Lord God, be like the surgeon where you remove the wound and you are beginning to bring healing. Father God, I see a picture in my mind of uh, the surgeon's knife cutting out the dead bits in, in those people's souls. And right now, you are surgically removing those dead bits and you are sewing it over. And it's going to be community It's going to be the Holy Spirit and your presence that's going to bring healing in that area. There's going to be strength. There's going to be joy. There's going to be an anointing in that area and a gifting come out of the pain. And hey, you know, we're a church, so we believe that Jesus is the answer. 
And I don't want to move past this point without giving people an opportunity. So you can put your hands down um, if you've just responded there. I want to speak specifically to people who you have never said yes to Jesus. So you've never fully, fully followed him. You've been that kind of person who you said yes to Jesus maybe a long time ago. But you're realizing in this moment, you left him at the altar. You left Jesus at the altar. Maybe you've been surrounded by church culture all your life, but you didn't realize that Jesus could be alive and Jesus could be real. If that is you in this place, you are suddenly waking up to the realization that Jesus is real and he wants to know you. And he wants you to know him and to know that you are loved by him. I want you to do something brave. I want you to put your hands up in this place. I want you to say, yes, you know, that's me. I'm saying, Jesus, I would like to know you. I want to know you in the way that I know my brother, in the way that I know my sister. I want to be known by you and I want to know you. That's fantastic. We've got some people making that decision in this place. Father God, we thank you and we celebrate for those people. And Lord God, we pray that that they would find themselves in this community. And Lord God, that they would understand that this is just the beginning of the journey. This one moment is a marker of this is the day I said yes, but this is the beginning of a lifestyle of learning to relate to Jesus and be found in him. In Jesus' name, amen.